All we ask is that you read it. I hope you're not like rolling cigarettes with it or something. I'm not sure, but stoking your fires at home. And uh, Open up to James. It's after the book of Hebrews. It's towards the back of the New Testament. We're in James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And what we do is, um, actually it was interesting, we were studying Wednesday night going through the book of Nehemiah, and uh, in chapter 8 of Nehemiah, I shared with everyone where we get this tradition that we, we hold to here at Calvary Chapel, that we stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, we sit for the word of the teacher, because they did it at the opening of, of the uh, Torah uh, during revival, during Nehemiah rebuilding the wall. We stand for the word of the Lord, one we honor, and then we sit for the word of the teacher, the other we tolerate. And so if you'd stand and honor Uh, the reading of the word of the Lord, I would be blessed. It's James chapter 1. I'm going to read it in its entirety of what we're going to cover, so I'm going to start with verse 1, even though we've covered it. It begins by saying, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, and this is my verse, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not the man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. And while you're standing, I'll read this. You don't have to turn there. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It starts with verse 18. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign. Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because, listen, because, listen, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. I I don't know about you, but I pause and take note whenever the scriptures speak of the foolishness of God. Does that baffle anybody? It's got me baffled. We're seeking wisdom. The opposite of wisdom is foolishness. We're going to contrast the two of them and see as God blesses us. And uh, before I pray, we're going to try something I did on Wednesday. And with a bad voice, it's going to be tough. And some of you guys are going, man, what is wrong with him today? Everything. (laughs) Uh, One of my favorite expositors of Scripture's name was Dr. Alan Redpath. He was dead long before I was a believer, but it was his book, The Making of a Man of God, a study in the life of David that lifted me out of deep depression, and I was blessed by that man. I used to listen to CDs or cassettes, actually, of him preaching. He had an Englishman, a lovely English accent, but when he would sing, he was awful. And he would always begin every sermon 
uh, by having the congregation sing this song. And I'm going to do my best. I know that I can do better than Dr. Redpath. And so he gives me courage. The song goes like this. It goes, thank you, God, for sending Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you came. Holy Spirit, won't you teach me more about his lovely name? You got that? It goes like this. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you came. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, won't you teach me more about, more about his lovely name. Think you can do it? We good with it? Thank you, God, for sending Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you came. Holy Spirit, won't you teach me more about his lovely name? Lord, we do ask that you you do that. That as we lift up the name of Christ, that all men would be drawn unto him. Lord, as we examine the foolishness of you, what could that possibly be? As you declare, if any man lacks wisdom, all he need but do is ask of you. You'll give liberally. But then, God, we consider that you're foolish. What does that mean? And so, Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth. Speak to us now, we pray, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, have a seat. I, uh, I watched a movie, and I recommend it, although there is some cussing in it, which I don't know why they added it, and I saw the controversy regarding it, because the likelihood is Lincoln wasn't anyone who cussed. Um, but it, it's, it's called Lincoln, it's by Spielberg, and it's the last two months of Lincoln's life, and it's a fascinating movie. I was, I was mesmerized by it, deeply blessed. To see a man that they would attack him, and, and he, he just would overlook the offense and just deal with the issue at hand. He was a very humble man. And part of it that I'm sad that they didn't include was his faith, because uh, his, his maid, Elizabeth Keckley, would often say that when she would come into the Oval Office and look over Lincoln's shoulder, she would see him reading the book of Job. He, if you look at Lincoln's Bible, it's, it's intact, but when it gets to the book of Job, you can see that this thing is just dog-eared and wrinkled, and, and uh, it's, it's had just uh, a lot of reading done through it. Elizabeth Keckley said he was often in the book of Job. He was a man that was, went through some of the greatest trials of the nation, considering that we were in the midst of a civil war, 650,000 soldiers, our own, dying on the fields of battle. Every family in the South lost a brother, a son, or a father in some capacity, either wounded or, 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 or killed. In the North, it was similar. And the death toll was extensive throughout the nation. And then as we watched as the nation was ripped apart to end slavery and to watch as the Emancipation Proclamation and, and all these things occurred in the last few months of Lincoln's life and then a reward for him was a bullet to the back of the head. And it was Lincoln in the midst of this when they hated him, even as he was seeking a second term of office, realizing he was going to lose to McClellan, who was a Democrat, and he was going to lose to him. He, he, um, he realized at that moment that uh, he had to do something. And so he sought to have every, he asked Frederick Douglass to come into the White House. The first time a black man had been invited into the White House as anything other than a servant. 
but as a human being. And he, he said to Frederick Douglass, I need you to get south of the Mason-Dixon line and tell every black man to get north of the Mason-Dixon line because when McClellan wins, they're going to close the border and those folks won't have a snowball's chance in hell. He said, so get down there and get everyone down there to get them north. He thought he was going to lose and it was when Sherman made it uh, his march to the south and, and uh, Grant had a, a number of victories that the war, the tide of the war began to change. Everyone hated Lincoln. His popularity rating was d- diminished, but he would be willing to take the, make the tough decisions and, and the grinding that occurred as, as people just died, ruthless. I mean, you talk about the Battle of the Wilderness. 60,000 people died in one battle in the Battle of the Wilderness. It was awful. And, and as the, the war started to turn the tide and all of a sudden victory started to be assured, uh, Lincoln's fame began to rise. And his second term of office, they ended up winning a second term. And then the Civil War was coming to a conclusion. And then the South surrendered. Lincoln pushed for emancipation, even though they said, don't do that. It's not necessary. He did anyways. And as a result, the nation began a a course of healing. Uh, Great Britain had ended slavery in the British Empire uh, long before that. But now America was coming around to realizing what God desired. And then Lincoln got a bullet in the back of the head. It was Lincoln who said in the darkest hours of the Civil War when he didn't have a friend on the face of the earth. And everyone hated him. The South hated him. Folks in the North hated him. He was responsible for the deaths of their loved ones because he was president of the United States making decisions that they didn't agree with. And, and as he would pursue wisdom, he said, and these were his words, he said, I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. Let me repeat that. I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. He said, My wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for the day. He would find himself crying out to God, what do I do? I'm in way over my head. As we consider this book of James, and you look at Lincoln on his knees asking God for wisdom, this is a prayer I pray every single time someone comes into my office or grabs me in the foyer or grabs me in the sanctuary and asks counsel of me. You may not hear me physically utter these words, but while you're speaking, I'm praying. If you're coming to seek counsel, if you're coming to seek counsel, I guarantee you I'll either pray it out loud because we have time to, or you'll be, you'll be sharing with me. And while you're sharing, I'm listening, but I'm also praying. And I'm praying this exact prayer that the Lord has put on my heart, saying, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And I'm saying, God, I, I need wisdom here. They're not coming for my words. They're not coming for my wisdom. They're coming for yours. Otherwise, they could watch Oprah or Dr. Phil. They're coming for your wisdom, Lord. And I ask you for it. Would you show me what needs to be done? Because God's wisdom, his wisdom is foolishness to man. And oftentimes, the response that you're going to get from God's wisdom is something that you're not pleased with. I was thinking about this idea that the scriptures that we read earlier out of 1 Corinthians, it speaks of the foolishness of God. What is the foolishness of God? It's real simple. The foolishness of God is divine wisdom demanding faith. Let me say it again and listen. What is the foolishness of God? It is divine wisdom demanding faith. You want easy answers? 
You want to come and have somebody fix all your problems? It's not that easy. God's wisdom is foolishness to man. And the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. And the foolishness of God is divine wisdom demanding faith. I, I was burdened this week because, as you know, we have Little Oak School. And uh, we, we took out a loan, f- what, three years ago for $850,000 to purchase the school at 10% interest on a handshake. And um, half of the interest was given back to us as a gift every month, so that means that we have it at 5%, basically close to a million dollars at 5% interest. And we purchased the school. We purchased the school, and we wanted to turn it from a secular school to a Christian school, but we wanted to be Christian about it. And so we didn't want to kick out the teachers who weren't professing Christians, nor did we want to kick out the families that weren't professing Christians. We wanted to acclimate them slowly and, and do this over a process of time because the you know, Bible says be anxious in nothing. And so patiently we've, we've started to implement more, but stating from the very onset that this is our ultimate desire, our ultimate goal, that we are a, a Christian-run uh, organization. It's owned by the church. It is the educational arm of the church, and we intend to have it as a Christian school fully and compliantly, and all the teachers to work along in, the, in that regard. And so as we operated, and we were being patient with that, a number of the teachers came to us and said, you know, this just isn't really what I believe, and I, I'm thankful for you guys keeping me on for a year, and they graciously stepped aside, and it was lovely in the transition, and on and on and on, and it started to work, and we've started to find that it's a difficult business to run, and California is not a pleasant place to run a business. In January, it's going to be a 53% tax rate for any of those folks that have money that love to operate businesses. It, it, I, I spoke this week. Uh, in two and a half weeks, I've heard from four millionaires that are leaving the state because it just doesn't make sense to live here anymore. My dentist, who probably does very well, said, you know, why should I stay? It makes no sense to stay in this state. And as we're watching these things occur and thinking that it's very anti-business, we've stepped into a business. And we made it a for-profit company that's owned by the church in case we ever needed to sell it. I don't know if that was the wisest idea, but that's what the Lord told us to do. I think it was the foolishness of God, quite frankly. (laughs) And so as we started to transition through this, uh, we've come up against a couple of heavy issues. But one has really knocked the wind out of us. We had two, uh, and, and each of the employees at the school um, are, are not on contract. Uh, it's their, it, as the school year ends, that's the end of their, their time with us. And, um, and so in this coming year, we required that if you want to retain employment, we're requesting, or we're requiring, excuse me, we're requiring that you have a pastoral reference to declare that you're a believer that you're active in a church, and this is what we want. We're a Christian school, and this is where we're going, and we've done this for three years now, and this is the third year, and we want to apply this. We've given you a chance to see what we're about and patience with it, and so this is the first year we've required a pastoral signature. We had uh, two employees decide that they weren't going to work at the school because of that, and they left, and they decided to sue us. $150,000 each. That's $300,000. And they named me in the suit. I was really thankful for that. <laughs> and the idea is they feel as though we, we don't have the right to demand of them, though it's a Christian school uh, and we have uh, religious exemption, that we're not allowed to demand that the people who teach in our Christian school be Christians. Now, state law declares 
that they probably have a case. Federal law says they don't have a case. We, we look at Congress shall make no law, right? That we, we have a very strong case on the federal level, but on the state level, anything could happen. It's California. <laughs> Good times. And so I just thought, you know, Lord, this is a vision you gave us that we're supposed to operate in this capacity. What do you want us to do? And, and I applied James chapter 1, verse 5. If any man lacks wisdom, all he need but do is ask of God. So I said, Lord, what do, what do you want us to do? I have no idea how to proceed from this point on. A place I pray a lot uh, is, is in the shower. That's just a place I, I enjoy the hot water. Doors locked, nobody's bugging me. And I pray there. And as I was praying, the Lord just put it on my heart. Call the newspaper. Well, but Lord, that, that's going to expose. Yeah, bring it into the light. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Walk it. Bring it out into the light. But Lord, Ventura County starts a liberal newspaper. It doesn't matter. Just bring it into the news. So I called the newspaper. I called a friend of mine who's a, uh, one of the journalists there. He'd done a couple of articles. I said, hey, do you think you, this this be a story you'd be interested in? And I sent him all the paperwork. And I said, it hasn't gone to court yet, but they're considering it. He said, well, send it over. And he, I sent all the stuff over. I checked with our attorney. I checked with the board. And we sent it over. And... Uh, then all of a sudden, their attorney called our attorney and said, hey, maybe we could meet. Because apparently the journalist called him and said, uh, yeah, we're going to be running a story on the, and now the people are going to have their names out there that you want to close down a 30-year-old school because you feel you're owed $150,000 because a Christian school requires you to have a pastoral signature. A lot of folks are saying, just give them money and make them go away. No! No! Rights. You don't exercise them, you lose them. And this is a hill worth dying on. And I'm ready for it. And so I just put it out there. And uh, then the journalist called back and he said, uh, this, is, this looks like a real good story. So we're seeing where God's going to go with this. But my feeling is I, I would have never thought of that. There's a number of things I'd never have a clue on. And to step forward in faith and to operate in that capacity, a lot of folks are saying, just sell the school, get out of the business. God gave us a picture that, that we're going to operate a school that's going to develop disciples. It's trying right now because the elementary school is the one we're struggling with the most. If we were to shut down the elementary school, we'd be exceptionally profitable. We have preschool kids coming out. You know, they're everywhere. We're just running out of classroom space for the preschool. But when it comes to private education, parents are, are, are burdened by it because they look at the state and they say, well, it's free. Yeah, it's free. They'll take your kids any time to indoctrinate them. And I ask you this, do you, do you trust your retirement on the government? Then why would you entrust your children? This is, this is a, 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 an incredible decision to make before the Lord. And, and you know, so we, we, we put that forward. I, I, I'm committed to it. It doesn't make any sense financially. But God's been faithful, and we're making it, and I'm blessed by it. I was thinking in regards to the foolishness of God and the wisdom that he, he, he calls us to ask him for. Because if you see the passage of Scripture in verse 5, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you lacks wisdom, I'll just simply tell you right now, life creates a demand for wisdom. Life creates a demand for wisdom. Every one of you at one point or another are going to lack wisdom. You're going to come up against something and you're not going to know what to do. It happens continually. But here's the tragedy of it. 
You go through all your gimmicks to try to come up with some sort of a solution to fix it, and you end up in debt because you're running credit cards thinking that you're doing something smart. You're not. Wisdom from God is patient. Wisdom from God doesn't come with payments. Wisdom from God is something that, that baffles you and blows your mind and strengthens your walk with him. You're going to lack wisdom. You're going to come to a crossroads. Like Yogi Bear says, when I get to a crossroads, I take it. I don't know what that meant, but you... <laughs> when I come to a fork in the road, I take it. Okay. Thanks, Yogi. That's right. That's wisdom from Yogi. <laughs> hey, boo-boo. <laughs> hey, boo-boo. Let's go get some picnic baskets. But Yogi. That's what I was trying to say. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're going to lack wisdom. And God loves doing this. He loves putting you in an area in your life where you're dependent upon him. Because divine wisdom demands faith. Divine wisdom demands faith. That's the foolishness of God. God's going to put you in a situation where you don't have the answer. How are you going to deal with it? Are you going to go and call the pastor? Are you going to get on your knees and ask God? Why are you coming to me? Why are you coming to anyone else when you have the ability, according to James, to ask of the Lord? Now, granted, asking of the Lord, you're asking, how am I supposed to ask of the Lord when you're talking with somebody who, who walks with God? I get that. That doesn't mean you're supposed to avoid counsel. Wise counsel's good. But if you're the first person to just you, you just, you hate praying and you just want someone to fix it for you, grow up. Get on your knees. The foolishness of God is divine wisdom demanding faith. This is God wanting to develop in you a relationship with him. That's why he gives you trials. The Bible says, don't count it all joy when you fall into various trials. You know why? Because it's developing your relationship with the Lord. It's a testing of your faith. Faith is trusting him. Divine wisdom demands faith. That's the foolishness of God. And when, when you're testing your faith, it's producing a patience to wait upon the Lord. He came through before and he'll come through again. And that's wisdom from above. It's first patient. And, and so when you come to this place where you lack wisdom and you're at a fork in the road, don't, don't go off your natural wisdom. This is what I see. This is what I can do. This is how I can fix it. No, pray. Pray. In all circumstances, all the time, pray without ceasing. Prayer is asking God. Prayer is talking to the Lord. Let him ask of God, not of man. Let him ask of God. When's the last time you talked to God about your circumstances? We would rather call man. But maturity is to talk to God first. Not in your head, not to do the swirling thoughts. Spend some time asking the Lord what he wants. How does he answer you? Through his word. Oh, so now you're telling me i got to talk to him, and then i got to read his word too. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. The answer's there. Oh, but the Bible's too hard to read. Stop it. Get a backbone and start reading. Come on. Really? Yeah, but if it's not on television, I, I don't understand it. Can't you just put it on the screen for me? I don't have time to read. Both of those are the worst excuses on the face of the earth. I don't have time. I don't have time to commune with the creator of the universe because I'm too busy figuring things out on my own even though I could ask 
him for wisdom because he knows the beginning from the end and all points in between. And all the resources of heaven are waiting at my beckoning call. All I have to do is call on him and he'll show me great and mighty things I know not of. But I don't have time for that. You know why it's too hard to read the Bible? Because you don't. You don't. But, but start. Piece by piece. Comes together. You start getting an overview of the scriptures. It starts to bless you beyond measure. Open the word. When the Bible says, ask of God. Who gives to all liberally and without reproach. And it will be given. It's not like he, you know, you're, you're going, God, you know, I'm in a struggle here. I don't know what to do. And God goes, oh, I'm getting so sick and tired of your stupidity. You're dumber than a box of rocks. How often do we have to go through this yet again? God doesn't do that. He gives liberally without reproach. He loves it when his kids ask him. He's a good father. He's not like me. What? Can't you see I'm busy? I'm watching television and relaxing. What makes you think I want to engage in raising you and explaining life to you? I figured it out. You do it. Obviously, you can see I've done well. Aren't you glad God's not me? We come to the Lord, he says, I'm not busy. What can I do for you, son? Well, I don't understand this. Well, I'm going to show you a little by foolishness that'll blow the wisdom of the world. You ready for that? Oh, yeah. Check this out. Wow. Let me, let me show you this picture when it says, let him ask in faith, verse 6. Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded, unstable in all of his ways. The foolishness of God, what we studied earlier. The foolishness of God, what we saw in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 through 25. Again, I want to give you the definition of that. The foolishness of God is divine wisdom demanding faith. Divine wisdom demanding faith. You see, when the scripture says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience... Patience has its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. But if you lack wisdom, divine wisdom that demands faith, God will give it to you. You just ask him. You just ask him. And we've got, we've got a, a, a cadre of, of Old Testament saints that declare the foolishness of God, which is wiser than the wisdom of man. I mean, you just start with Noah, the foolishness of God. You think about Noah, and, and, and here he is. He's, he's building an ark 450 feet long in, in a location where there's no water for hundreds of miles. And he builds it for over 100 years, and he was a preacher of righteousness. And God says, I want you to make it this many cubits out of this many cubits. And he's like, what's a cubit? You know, you've seen uh, Bill Cosby, yeah. For some, he's got it. And so as, as, uh, as he's building this massive ark, people are coming and ridiculing him endlessly. What are you doing? I'm building an ark. Why? Well, there's going to be water here soon. When? Soon. And I'm going to build it 450 feet long, and we're going to make it out of white oak and and then bituminous pitch. 
And then God's going to bring animals uh, by twos. And they're going to come into the ark. And each of these is for the animals. (laughs) Who told you this? God did. You need to go to Happy Dale, Noah. No, 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 no. The animals, he's going to bring them. God's going to bring them. He told me he's going to bring two of each kind, a male and a female, because then they get, you know what I'm saying? And he's going to bring them. He's going to bring two of them, and they're going to travel from all over the world. And then there's, I have sections for each of them, sections for each of the animals on the ark, multiple levels, and then we're gonna, there's going to be straw and food in there, and then the whole earth's going to get flooded, and everyone's going to die who's not on the ark. Really? Yeah, yeah. That's stupid. No, 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 no. That's wisdom. God told me. I asked him. He showed me. He did. There's room on the ark if you want to get on. Are you crazy? I'm not buying that. There's not water for hundreds of miles around here, Noah. What do we, what do we find happen? The earth floods. The animals come. The earth floods. God closes it with his finger. Everyone drowns. That's foolish. What is foolishness? Divine wisdom demanding faith. A hundred years he built that sucker. He put up with people mocking him and ridiculing him, and he was a preacher of righteousness for over a hundred years. Oh, has it been hard this week for you passing out those Christmas invitations? I am so sorry. Going up and telling them that they have good news, that, that for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, and it's the birth of Christ, and it's a God speak Christmas, and I want to invite you as a neighbor to come and hear that the God of the universe, who's mighty and powerful and, and holds the heavens in the span of his hands, sent a little tiny baby to Bethlehem to be born in a manger by a virgin and a carpenter who didn't have any money, and then and, and angels sang, and then the shepherds sang, and then the wise men traveled all the way over, and then they brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Is that hard? That a mighty God would take the form of a baby and that he demands that the world believe in him as the savior of the world? And your neighbor looks at you and says, that's stupid? It's divine wisdom demanding faith. It's divine wisdom demanding faith. Noah did it. Abraham leave Ur of Chaldees to travel to Canaan. They had running water and gated community and he ends up in Lancaster, Palmdale. I mean, he left Santa Barbara for Palmdale. That's what he did. And, and, and that's Abraham. And then God says, take now your son, your only son, Isaac. All the promises are related to this boy and he puts him on the altar to kill him. That's foolishness, divine wisdom demanding faith. God says, trust me. Trust me. You're having trials. You are at a fork in the road. You're trying to figure it out and you can't do it. And you come up with some of the most stupid ideas. You you, you declare that I don't exist and you say that we're cosmic accidents. That from some primordial soup... uh, Life just happened out of nowhere. And then it created a wart and sprouted an ear, and it's you. You're an idiot. I didn't say that God did. He said anyone who says there is no God is a fool. Translated idiot. 
You're dumb. You don't get it. My 11-year-old is smarter than you. Because the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You look, at, you look at Noah, you look at Abraham, you just go down the line, and as you see all these things, you say, what in the world does God want from me? I think about Moses. God speaks to him in a burning bush. He's got it said. He's spent 40 years in the backside of the Midian desert. He's, he's tending sheep. I don't have to worry about a thing. I got plenty of milk and plenty of meat, and I got a wife and kids. I'm doing good. I don't need this hassle. I was wanted in Egypt. They, they were looking for me for murder. I'm on the lamb here, and I'm with lambs here, and it's all good. And God speaks to him through a burning bush that's not consumed and says, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. Now, it's almost like he was in Washington smoking peyote, and he's think, looking at this thing thinking, I'm not sure that uh, this is hallucinogenics. And he says, who am I going to tell Pharaoh has sent me? He said, tell him I am has sent you. Who? I am. What kind of a name is that? I am. I am. Okay. Okay. And he goes to Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh, you've got to let everybody go because I am too mean to tell you that you've got to let them all go. The other one is the foolishness of God, divine wisdom demanding faith. God had told him, he says, take that staff in your hand, throw it on the ground. He throws it on the ground, it turns into a snake. He says, grab it by the tail. You don't grab a snake by the tail. You grab it by the head and you hold the head so the head doesn't bite you. That's the dangerous end. He doesn't know if it's poisonous or not. He grabs it by the tail, turns back into a staff. Divine wisdom demanding faith. Trust me. Trust me. You trust in him there, and if you're faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the big things. And he gets to Pharaoh, and he starts to say it. And then God says, there's going to be some plagues, and you, you challenge him. And he does it, and all the way down, and then we have the Passover, and the angel of death comes through, and everyone dies. And finally, Pharaoh lets him go. Millions of Jews leave Egypt. Foolishness of God. Where does he lead him? In the middle of the desert. No water, no food. Moses is like, Really? We, 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 we left Egypt, a fertile plain, to come out here on the surface of the sun? Trust me, divine wisdom demanding faith, trust me. Water comes out of a rock, quails come out of the sky, manna shows up, what is it? That's what it means, what is it? <laughs> Who's on first? Manna, what is it? Yes. And it's there every morning. But if you take too much of it, it turns into maggots the next day. You've got to have enough just for the day. Crazy. What is it? Don't know. And then as they're traveling, their clothes never wear out. Divine wisdom demanding faith. Then they get to the, to the, 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 the Egyptians chase them, and they get all the way to where they're surrounded by mountains on both sides in a gully, and the Red Sea in front of them and an entire army behind them, and they have no weaponry. That is stupid. And everyone's panicking. What does Moses do if any man lacks wisdom? God, what do I do? I'm glad you came to me, Moses. 
kind of drying, isn't it? Yeah, they're closing in. I can, I can see the dust around the corner. They're coming quickly. You got, I was thinking maybe if you had something you wanted to say to me, you could do it. No! <laughs> Let's go with this thing. Because everybody's upset with me and they want to kill me. And then I don't know what, so what do you, how, you got to, hey. Here's what we're going to do, Moses. Okay, I'm listening. I'm listening. The quail came, and then the manna came. You're going to bring weaponry, right? <laughs> I like the way you work. No, Moses, you're going to walk into the Red Sea. I'm Jewish. I don't swim. <laughs> Trust me. Okay. Follow me, boys, ladies, kids. We're going this way. Moses, what are you crazy? Look at this water out there. We're all going to drown. Are you crazy? Let's go. And it parted. It's like, whoa, that is crazy. I know, divine wisdom demanding faith. Trust me, if any man lacks faith, these trials are for the perfecting of your faith. Trust the Lord. He'll work it together for good. Yes, sir. And you walk out there. Then what happens? Pillar of fire for them so they can see where they're going. Clouds for the Egyptians so they have no idea where they are. They follow them out. They get to the other side. Water closes up. Dead man float. All the Egyptian army sunk to the bottom of the Red Sea. Go God. Yes? How about Joshua? That's a great one. AI behind them, Jericho in front of them. They're in trouble. They're not militaristic, trying. Giants in the land. Finally, they've stepped into the promised land. But if they don't take out Jericho, they're done. And this this is impregnable. Walls, thick. Chariot could ride around big, thick walls. And then the soldiers and Joshua's generals, what are we going to do? Joshua says, can you hang on? Just hold that thought, fellas. I'll be right back. What are we going to do? I have no idea how to lead these people. Moses, your servant, is dead. I'm old. I'm in my 80s. I'm supposed to lead these people. Did you see those wolves? What are we going to do? We're farmers. We weren't even farmers. We're slaves. We don't have any weapons. What's that? Okay, you got a plan. Good. What are we going to do? A weaponry this time? Okay, yeah. Oh, get the marching band. Okay. March around seven, six, seven times. Seven times. Okay. They're going to shoot at us while we're doing that. You know that. Okay, 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 okay. And we march around. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. On the seventh time, what, what, did the ladders come up and we scale it? Or hel- what, helicopters? Have they been invented yet? No? Okay. Seventh time what now? Okay. Uh, I thought you said blow trumpets, but I, I thought maybe blow cannons. What was that again? You did say blow trumpets. Okay. Blow trumpets. <laughs> Anything else? Okay, nothing. Just go tell them that. Okay, all right. Hey, fellas, gather around. Uh, 
All of Joshua's generals gather around. We're going to march around six times. Okay, six. And then on the seventh time, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here comes the finale. We're going to blow trumpets. (laughs) You know, the shofars and the tangle. (laughs) Who's with me? Who's... Who's with me? Divine wisdom demanding faith. Joshua, God said that, he did. Well, let's do it. Marching, they're ridiculing him, mocking him. Six times around, arrows. They keep marching. They finally get around the seventh time. Ones are still alive. Okay, blow it. The walls collapse outward. You look at the ruins today, it's like a big hand on a sandcastle went and just opened like a flower. Invaded, conquered. Naaman. You want to talk about Gentiles, not just Jews. Let's talk about Gentiles. Naaman. He's a general. He's got leprosy. Leprosy. I'm not half the man I used to be. My fingers are falling off of me. I thought it would work because leprosy is pretty much eradicated and nobody has it. I don't think so. Let's move on. Okay. He has leprosy. And he comes to God finally in humility and he says, I know that you're a man of God and I have an incurable disease. What do I do? What's that? Go dip in the River Jordan, what, seven times? Okay. I've been to the River Jordan. River is a stretch to define it. At the Newberry Park, that creek that you see when you go over, that's like the Jordan. You've got to find deep spots, and they're just muddy, and there's catfish that bite you. I don't like it. I don't like it. And, and Naaman came from an area where they had these beautiful rivers, the Pishon, I mean, it was a stunning river. And Naaman says, I'm going to dip seven times in that cesspool. Divine wisdom demanding faith. You want God's wisdom? Don't doubt him. I said dip seven times, you dip seven times. Could you imagine? First time he goes under in the muddy and he comes up with some like moss on his head. And he's a general and all of his guys are going, there was a thing in his head. He's pulling the moss out. Catfish are biting him. He dips a second time. He's just thinking, this is so stupid. Third time. Fourth time. Fifth time. Sixth time. Goes down a seventh time. Thinking, what a waste of time. Comes up, and the scripture says his skin was like that of a newborn baby. Divine wisdom demanding faith. You come to a crossroads in life and God gives you a trial, the scripture says, and you're to count it joy because you're, giving, you're being given the opportunity to develop your relationship with the Lord. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. You are at a fork in the road and it's now time to develop your relationship with the Lord. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience and patience has its perfect work that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Why do you lack nothing? Because you're completely abiding in him. 
In Him is the fullness of joy. If you lack wisdom, trying to figure out what God wants you to do, ask Him. He'll give it to you. But when He gives you the wisdom, don't doubt Him. What do you mean build an ark? There's no water. Are you insane? I'm not doing that. I am not taking these people into the desert. You're a burning bush. That makes no sense. What do you mean march around stupid walls? I'm not blowing any trumpets. And I'm certainly not dipping in that ugly, filthy cesspool you call a river. Divine wisdom demanding faith. Not only will I not do any of those things, there is no way you're expecting me to put my trust in some stupid story about some baby born to a virgin in some backwater desert town in some God-forsaken country in the Middle East. Really? And what's your plan, O oh wise one? It's humility. Each of those things require that you trust. And in addition, it requires that you recognize the great rules of the universe that there is a God and you are not Him. Trust Him. There's no other choice. There's no wisdom or understanding or counsel that can come against God. You can reject the Savior. You can reject his wisdom. But you're going to get to the end of your life. And you're a fool. You are a fool. You have tried to explain by your feeble mind the workings of the universe. And in your pride, you have become stupid. Yes. Divine wisdom demanding faith. The Savior came in the form of a baby. Born in a manger, born of a virgin. Walked this earth for 33 years and was without sin, but was tempted in every way like we have been tempted, yet was without sin. He came to set men free from their sin. The sinless man died on a cross in your place and in my place that whosoever would believeth on him would not perish but have everlasting life. Is that hard for you to stomach? Is that hard for you to fathom? What do you have that's better, O wise one? You've created some sort of a gimmick about how the universe exists, how God doesn't exist, but the world is held in a delicate balance and the four seasons are just by chance. That's ridiculous. It takes more faith to say there's no God than to rely on the facts of who he is and declared himself to be. And the proof of it is in the power of the words that transform human lives. The greatest thing I ever did was to embrace the foolishness of God. He gave me my life back. That little baby changed my world. That little baby gave me life, gave me freedom, gave me a family, gave me hope. He's my savior and he's my king. And a man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he can never lose. I'm no fool. No man who trusts in the Lord is a fool.
No, man. I pray that you would understand that this Christmas. That the foolishness of God has visited you this day. And it's divine wisdom demanding faith. And if you struggle with it, just ask him. He'll walk you through it. But don't doubt him. Take him at his word and watch your world turn right side up and watch this become the most amazing Christmas you've ever experienced. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you.